He dumps. He does everything right. He dumps them in the harbor. He takes out their teeth, but then he puts them in plastic bags so that they don't get decay and get eaten by fish. Wow. He's. <sighs> You'd be a much better Dexter. Yes. He should okay. take his job. <laughs> he has to deal with Walmart. Maybe I shouldn't have talked about it like Serving you up stories, music, news, and humor on a delicious audio wave from the depths of the geometric sea. We built this podcast with our own arm. This is episode one, Cosmicism, and the true definitions of utopia and dystopia. to our discussion section. This is... Cosmo, Tracy, Kyle, and Anne. So, today I've picked out two topics for us to discuss. The first topic is Cosmicism. Cosmicism is a belief espoused by H by the author H.P. Lovecraft in many of his works. It is somewhat similar to nihilism, in that it states that all human actions are meaningless, but it differs in certain respects because it mostly says that all human actions are meaningless rather than all things are completely and utterly meaningless. Also, doesn't really care about humans and is apparently compatible with giant alien monsters that we would consider to be gods. So, there's... That. Do you guys uh, agree with cosmicism? Do I, I agree with it? Hmm. That humans are meaningless? Yeah. I mean, I I would have to say yes. I mean, there's, I mean, there's no, like... It's not like we found a meaning to life or anything. It's, you know, there really is no visible point that we know of, so... For all we know, it is meaningless. The way I feel about it is that it's true, but there are other philosophies that contradict it, and those philosophies I might prefer. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's kind of a natural human belief, is that we want to give ourselves meaning. We want to say, yes, I have meaning. I am this... I, I have this effect on the universe that we don't necessarily have and that we can't necessarily prove that we have. 
although certain advances in quantum mechanics indicates that we may have an actual effect on the universe as a whole, but that's a may, not a definitely. So I wouldn't necessarily regard that as uh, quite fact. One of the principles of communism... Uh, <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> I misspoke. One of the principles of cosmicism is that, according to Wikipedia, there is no recognizable divine presence, such as a god in the universe, and that humans are particularly insignificant in the larger scheme of intergalactic existence, and perhaps are just a small species projecting their own mental idolatries onto the vast cosmos, ever susceptible to being wiped from existence at any moment. This also suggested that the majority of undiscerning humanity are creatures with the same significance as insects and plants, who in their small, visionless, and unimportant nature do not recognize a much greater struggle between greater forces. Lovecraft believed that the human race will disappear, other races will appear and disappear in turn, the sky will become icy and void, pierced by the feeble light of half-dead stars, which will also disappear, everything will disappear, and what human beings do is just as free of sense as the free motion of elementary particles, good, evil, morality, feelings, pure Victorian fictions, only egotism exists. I like this. <laughs> For those who do not know the definition of egotism, it's the drive to maintain and enhance favorable views of oneself. Again, <laughs> quoting directly from Wikipedia. So, do you do you believe, because I, I would have to say that the vast majority of humans, in fact, I'm going to say all humans, on some base level, believe that they do have some sort of impact on the universe, and that would be given cosmicism that would be considered egotist or mm -hmm. egotistical mm -hmm. so do you believe that all humans are egotistical in that sense that they care for themselves and that they believe that they have this impact on the world around them do humans think that they are more than the sum of their parts yeah i would say so it's not really a fallacy either. It's just kind of by design, you know, you, people have to look after their own survival so they get used to thinking about themselves as important yeah, that's true. Makes sense. And now we've kind of gotten into the topic of, does a soul exist? Because that is the more than the sum of their parts that is inherent in that question. And right. to further force the controversy, do atheists believe in that soul? Do they believe, even the most fervent, that the humans are more than the sum of their parts. Mm. It depends on this right. atheist. Yeah, let's go with Richard. Levels. Let's go with Richard Dawkins. Oh, okay. I don't. I don't think he would believe there is a soul. I don't think he would say that there is a soul. But mm. given his actions and the actions of all human beings, yes, he does. He would regard himself, at the very least, as more than the sum of his parts. We all regard ourselves as more than the sum of our parts. Otherwise, we would not care if we died. Because True. we have no effect on the universe. Because we are just a collection of particles. And if we die, that collection of particles just goes away. We're not fulfilling a higher purpose 
because we are just that collection of particles. Mm -hmm. If you believe that an organism is more than the sum of those particles, that an organism should strive to survive, you are then believing that that organism is more than the sum of its parts. If you believe that human beings are the only conscious thing, at the very least on Earth, are the only sentient beings, at the very least on Earth, then you believe that we are more than the sum of our parts, and that we are even more than the sum of parts that make other organisms living. Or kind of living, in the case of things like viruses. For someone to be truly non-egotist, to be truly a nihilist, to be truly a cosmicist, one would have to not eat, not drink, not sleep until one falls over dead, and then the particles just go on. Because nothing matters. Yeah, that would that uh, particular belief would die out pretty quickly then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because human beings are naturally programmed by their genetics or by a higher power, if as some people believe. We are naturally programmed to care for ourselves. Mm-hmm. We desire food because our bodies wish to eat. So it's because a of belief. because of hormones in our brain that are sent throughout our body telling us to eat we desire water because of hormones in our brain that are telling us to get water because we are thirsty so therefore we will regard ourselves as more than the sum of our parts throughout our entire lives because it is impossible for a human being to look at themselves at the very least any other way I'm saying themselves because there are human beings who dehumanize other human beings and that's a topic for another day because we don't want to go into uh, bigotry right now. <laughs> Not particularly. So, what do you guys think on this subject? <coughs> yes, outside. <clears throat> so, basically, the basis of what you're saying is that people, in order to function as successful, healthy human beings, need to think of themselves as more than the sum of their parts. But what if they only need to think of themselves as just the sum of their parts and no more and no less? Because people, I mean, you know, like the trillions of cells and bacteria and and genes and proteins and mitochondria and all the little tiny things that make up a human being, that by itself is pretty damn impressive. I mean, that's that's a lot of, of systems working together to create this... The, something that works. It's like a beautifully True. designed machine. You, True. you could say that life pretty much wants to exist by its own yes. nature. Yes, and that's what I was saying as well. However, Tracy, I would also like to posit, do you think that those people use the pronoun I? Because if they use the pronoun I, they are regarding themselves as one whole entity, even though the number of bacteria in their body outnumber the number of... By my memory, they outnumbered the number of actual cells, of Mm -hmm. human cells, in their body. So, when they say I, are they referring to their human self? Or are they referring to the multitude of bacteria that are necessary for human life? vast majority of people don't think about that. And I would say that's not something that someone would think about necessarily when they say the word i 
Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, they would say the word we. Unless they think mm-hmm. of the bacteria as part of themselves. Excuse me, I, I, when I say I, I speak for everyone inside of me as well. <laughs> so you're saying the royal I, almost? <laughs> as in, you're using the singular, uh, well, to be fair, pronouns are bendable, but in this case you would be using the singular pronoun I to refer to a multitude of beings, most of which do not share the same consciousness and most of which it can be argued do not have consciousness yeah that's that's fair it's also you're able to say that well you know how tracy brought the fact that you know it's amazing that we're made of all these systems and everything only the humans would be intelligent enough to actually be in awe of themselves like that like the other animals in the animal kingdom or anything that's living would you know go run off instinct and would pretty much be like Oh, I have systems in my body? What? Huh? Oh, look, there's a flower. There's nothing really to wonder about if you're like an armadillo. You're just living, and you're trying to survive. Okay, mm-hmm. two questions. Number one, does that mean that you're regarding humanity as more than the sum of its parts? Because you're saying that humanity, as itself, is more conscious and more holy a being than other animals because it is able to regard itself and it is able to see that it is some of many, many, many different organisms and many different systems. Also, what are you regarding as consciousness? Because we have no accurate way and we have no possible way of testing the intelligence of another creature because, number one, we cannot speak that other creature's language, and number two, they have an extremely different thought process from us. Mm-hmm. Because they are literally another species. Yeah. You can't really tell what a cat is thinking because a cat thinks on a whole different plane from how humans think. And I'm not using that to say that cats are more intelligent than people, but I am using that to say that they think in a completely different way that no human would be able to possibly understand. Because we have brains that function like human brains. Mm-hmm. They're not more or less aware than humans, but humans have reached a point that they can be self-aware, and we usually regard that as a better quality, but even something that is... Um, monkeys tend to be self-aware, dolphins tend to be somewhat yes. self-aware. Yeah. So, parakeets and quite a few birds, generally not. Yeah, when... If something fights itself in the mirror, I'd say that's a fairly good test to see yeah, if it's self-aware. Test. If something doesn't pass the mirror test, it that probably, doesn't mean it they're doesn't, it, less it, important. It just means that it does not recognize itself as seen from the outside, mm-hmm. and that it will fight itself, generally. Well, the only viewpoint we actually have is from humans, because exactly. we can all agree right now that yeah. we're human. Yeah, and so most of us. Pretty much all we know is, hey, we have some form of intelligence, whether it's a good intelligence or a negative intelligence, and we have mm-hmm. some sort of awareness, at least enough for us to actually think, stop and wonder about our own bodies. We have enough intelligence to talk about whether we have enough intelligence as another species. Yeah. Do so. you speak dolphin? No. How do you know? <laughs> to be fair, dolphins are terrifying. They. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. They're they're not very nice creatures. Well we're not really nice <laughs> <Sometimes>. creatures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean they have their they have their positive aspects. Yeah, they they save little boys from drowning on T V shows. 
Gotta love Flipper. <laughs> but what I was going to say is um, there's a famous quote that says, if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, mm-hmm. it will spend its whole life thinking that it is stupid. Albert Einstein? Mm-hmm. Yes. I probably misquoted that because I'm just going by my memory. It's close enough. It's pretty but close. It's yeah. close enough that I, I believe I have gotten my point across. There was this one scientist who said that he thought that humankind is the universe's effort to understand itself, and I think that's probably at the opposite spectrum from cosmicism. Oh, definitely. Because... Not only, I mean, human in in that in that view, I mean, humankind is still small physically in the grand scheme of things, but at least it's looking. It's it's an eye upon the vastness, just trying to understand. Yeah. I mean, dolphins probably have a similar quote. They're like, <laughs> dolphins is the universe's way of saying, "Hey, what's up? I I understand this and I understand that." So dolphins long. are the way for the universe to understand itself. So long and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> <clears throat> However, because Cosmicism was originally propounded by H.P. Lovecraft, let's go with H.P. Lovecraft quotes. What's that particular quote? The humankind is consistently... Okay, we are going to probably cut this section out. Commercial break. Yeah, All right. we're going to a commercial break. Please wait while we reconfigure our tentacles for your listening pleasure. So, the quote that I was looking for is by H.P. Lovecraft, and it's in his story, one of his most famous stories, The Call of Cthulhu. It's at the beginning. The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, each straining in its own direction, have hitherto harmed us little, but some day the piecing together of dissociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality 
and of our frightful position therein, that we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee from the deadly light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. Yeah. I would say it was great. I had so many revelations. I was like, I went mad a little bit. And And now I have to like come up with a bunch of illusions to stop myself from being so. I would have to say that that's a pretty good descriptor of cosmicism. Yeah. That idea that humankind is completely insignificant. We are striving to understand things that are so far beyond our comprehension that we would be driven mad in the attempt or which I don't think is personally I don't think that that's necessarily true, mm-hmm. but you know, I am going from a rather biased standpoint being, you know, human. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. But I mean, I agree. I don't. I don't really see what there could be that would drive you mad just knowing it. But at the same time, I can't say there isn't one because I don't know what it is. So, you know, it's possible. But maybe we're all I'm... mad right now in this day and age because it, the knowledge has creeped up on us without us really <laughs> being aware. It wasn't a revelation. It was more of to a go... slow come, a slow awakening to to, knowledge. to quote Lewis Carroll. We're all mad here. Yeah, I I love love that. I love discussing theories about uh, Lovecraftian fiction and the possibility that Lovecraftian horrors are real. (laughs) Um, I was discussing them with a friend of mine and our substitute teacher, and that was rather interesting conversation to get into. We, by the end, worked out a belief to the point of these beings would be beings from uh, beings that function in higher spatial dimensions than we do, if there is such a thing, which would explain non-Euclidean angles because, you know, angles tend to shift if you move a 3D object through a 2D plane and you're looking just at that 2D plane, those angles would shift. If you're moving a 2D plane through a 1D line, you're going to then... Or if you're moving a two-dimensional object through a one-dimensional line, you're not going to get different angles, but you're going to get different sizes. So, similarly, you look upon something that's shifting that much, that's going to be absolutely horrifying. Also, we were talking about the possibility of these beings picking us up, and crumpling us into a four-dimensional or five-dimensional ball in the same way as you could pick up a sheet of paper that is a plane and crumple it up into a three-dimensional ball and chuck Mm. it in the waste bin. But then again, you're only considering that being as thinking like a human. Because you can only experience, like, we think that anything like that would Mm -hmm. act like a human. But then again... You, you don't know for sure whether it would be aggressive or peaceful or if it would merely just want to pick us up and crumble us. I, I, don't think it's even, I don't think it's even necessarily a question of aggressive or peaceful because if this thing is, if this thing is that beyond us, the, the human concepts of aggressiveness and peacefulness are, are so completely alien to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that... <laughs> extraneous 
Yeah, that it's just, it's not something that it could comprehend, and it's beliefs in morality, if it has beliefs in morality, would be so far beyond us that we couldn't comprehend it either. And I'm, that would hold true probably for any race that arose on a completely different world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Besides, we don't even know, like, the size of this thing, whether that even matters, if it even has a size. We just don't know how it exists, why it exists, why it thinks it exists, what it thinks its purpose is. We, to yeah. be honest, it's like this, it's pretty much like a Cthulhu. It's like yeah. this over, this over-surmounting fear of the unknown, and it just resides over us, or, I, you know, anywhere. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a pretty good description of that belief in Cthulhu if, you know, Cthulhu were to exist. I think it's that I think it's that we have this fear of the unknown and this fear of the unknowable because at the very least personally I believe that humanity tends to have this very curious spirit where when we see something we want to know why. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's one of the first questions on anyone's lips when something happens that's different is why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to other people? What is going on? Why is it going on? You know, all of the W questions. Where? When? And then, of course, how. But how is not a W. <laughs> Disregard that. Just do it backwards. Wow. 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 Wow, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Do you guys have anything more to add on the subject of Lovecraft and his cult? I think it would be kind of interesting to compare Lovecraft's cosmicism with Gnosticism, which is sort of the belief that every it's like the system of belief where every life is suffering, sort of like the Buddhist belief, but it's not humanity's fault it's just because the universe was created screwed up in the first place i i think that that seemed to be like lovecraft was attempting to go for this belief in cosmicism in most of his stories but it really did seem to me when i was reading through them that it was a lot more like that it was a lot more like everything was created for human suffering like Cthulhu was there just completely disregarding humans. He would have completely disregarded humans. He wouldn't have cared about us being in the world. He wouldn't have cared about having acolytes. And in most of his stories, it seems as if he did. It seems as if these acolytes, these people who are less than ants, have an effect. Yeah. And if we have an effect, therefore, this entire theory of cosmicism, of us having no effect is bogus. So, personally, I think that cosmicism is a really interesting theory, but I think it's uh, one that it would be, I, I don't necessarily want to say impossible, but I do want to say that it would be extremely improbable that a human being could ever truly believe in cosmicism. Mm-hmm. Gnosticism? Yes, because humanity does tend to focus on suffering. It's pretty prevalent. And I think that would kind of explain the uh, popularity of H.P. Lovecraft's stories and of horror stories in general is because we like suffering. 
Particularly when it's happening to other people. Mm. Yes. Which is, I They're believe... <laughs> I believe that's called schadenfreude. Mm-hmm. A German word meaning taking pleasure in other people's pain. And, of course, that's a German word. The stories wouldn't awesome. be exciting without English it. has sadism, though, so... Yeah. True. It does. It's, of course, it's more... Schadenfreude, I believe, is more uh, emotional pain rather than physical pain. Sadism is you inflicting that pain. Oh. You uh, take plight in... You take pleasure in inflicting pain. Schadenfreude is you taking pleasure in seeing others go through that, not necessarily caused by you. Hmm. It probably could be cohabitative with uh, sadism. Have you seen I think the news? Those it's all t- bad news, which is good news for you. It's, but I think that's I think that's mostly negativity bias because people tend to focus on the bad news, mm-hmm. at least in the beginning. So when we turn on the news, what gets more views? Story saying, "Oh, everything is fine. Everything's absolutely fine," or a video of a brutal murder. You know, you'll find that if you're looking at news during rate during uh, the rating season you'll find that the news is a lot more violent hmm. when they're looking at ratings and they're looking at views on their shows because people tune in. People tune in to watch this violence, to watch these things that are happening in the world, these painful things. They don't tune in so much to watch. Oh, there's this kitten that got rescued. They tune in to watch the stuff around it, which is saying, basically, the world is on fire, everything is terrible, we're all burning. And then as soon as a new thing comes on that says, oh, wait a minute, everyone's saved, something happened, and we're all good again, it's like, the views are going to drop. Yeah, It's like, oh, wait, the show's over. Because Because the second everything's good, there's nothing to report, because nobody wants to keep hearing, oh, everything's still good. Because that's the interesting thing. You can keep reporting on things if they're bad. Mm-hmm. You can keep reporting on different bad events. But if you report exclusively on good events, you're not going to get any views because you're just saying, oh, everything is fine, everything is perfect, everything is happy, and yeah, you'll get some views at the beginning. But after a while, people are just going to stop caring. Mm-hmm. I mean, Which- you, you see the same thing in fiction, too. I mean, books and movies. The only reason why they are read is because there's conflict. I mean, you need conflict to make people interested in, in really anything exactly. that's going on. Is it so, something to do with relation? There's no true utopia in fiction. No, because it, it'd be boring. Nobody would read it. It's just the, it's going to be the same thing over and over. Unless people are happy. The story was based around a utopia falling. Of course, there's no ex- exactly, but that's but not that's a true conflict. utopia. Yeah. There's conflict yeah. there. Actually, I was, and, re- I, I was just going to say that I was reading a Arthur C. Clarke book recently called "The City and the Stars," and that was pretty much a utopia. My question is: Was them. there a conflict in there? Yes, there was. See, exactly. exactly. It's not a utopia if there's conflict. There can be no conflict in a utopia. But is that the definition of What if it's an isolated? What if it's an isolated? A utopia is, well, it actually, it literally means no place. <laughs> nowhere. <laughs> utopia. <laughs> it, it, it literally means thing. nowhere if you, because you think, you think EU is a root and you think, oh, that means good. 
good place. Where are you going, Utopia? No, it actually it comes from a different route. I can't remember the exact route, but it does. And it means no place. Wow. Weird. Which is extremely interesting. Um, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the guy who wrote the original book titled... Sir Thomas More. Yes. And that was somewhat fiction, but it wasn't, it wasn't a story per se. There, there wasn't a story there. There was no plot line. There were no characters because it was this utopia as perfect as he could imagine it. Yeah. I think that was satire though, wasn't it? Oh, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) That's why he called it utopia as in no place. Oh. Hmm. And then of course, no true dystopia works well in a story either because you've got nothing good ever happening your characters are not good at all you can have an anti-hero but the thing about an anti-hero is an anti-hero by definition ends up doing good even if it's unintended they do good Mm -hmm. if all they do is like hurt people and they're not doing it for a higher purpose these people are hurting people these people are hurting people. Everybody's just constantly at each other's throats, but there's no moral high ground because everybody's exactly as evil as everybody else. <laughs> it's not a story that's going to be that interesting. No. Because essentially, it's just going to be graphic descriptions of blood and gore, and there probably will be some people interested in that. <laughs> or just a bunch but, of suffering. But those are, those, those are people that you don't necessarily want to be around. <laughs> I read a lot of books like that. Well, I mean, like... Yeah, but there's, a, there's at least some sort of good person in there. There's some sort of people who uh, maybe they don't deserve what's happening to them. There are some people in there who are you know, good. They're doing this for a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. But if you read a book where nobody has any higher purpose and it's just killing for the sake of killing. What about a book where the serial killer is the hero? Is that's the an anti-hero. That's, okay, an a- that's anti-hero. a Dexter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But is he doing it for a higher purpose? He's t- He's supposed to be doing it to keep killers off the streets or something to take down these mass murderers but you know he's also a mass murderer himself he's a mass murderer of mass murderers and he's also an idiot because he puts them in plastic bags <laughs> he dumps he does everything right he dumps them in the harbor he takes out their teeth but then he puts them in plastic bags so that they don't get decay and get eaten by fish wow he's <sighs> you'd be a much better dexter yes he okay. should take his job. <laughs> <laughs> he has to deal with Walmart. Maybe I shouldn't have talked about it like that. The show will be back after this music.
Yeah, but so like if a story has an anti-hero, and let's say that the root of the story is like this Adolf Hitler character, and his high um, purpose is to kill and to cleanse, and so he. Ends but up he thinks that, that he's he thinks yeah. that he's doing good. Yeah, is which, the thing. Which is which, in the end, it would be. It but that's not a story. dystopia. Yeah, that's not a dystopia it? because he he thinks that he's it's his doing utopia. good. It's his utopia. Because he thinks yeah. that he's doing good. He thinks he's serving this higher purpose. Yeah. Whereas in a true dystopia, everyone is going through pain and everybody hates everything. Which is kind of like <laughs> some people like try to uh, plaster because that label no on Because there's no higher anarchy, purpose. So. And in, in a true dystopia or a true utopia, nobody feels anything. Right. Because they can't, they can't feel anything other than complete bad or complete good. Reminds me of a story I wrote in eighth grade. The story was about what would I change about the human race, and I'm not exactly sure about the details. But I remember I wrote the essay, like this weird narrative about my beliefs of what we could do to the human race. And in the end, he his comment was, "Well, would the human race still be human if that were true?" No, probably not. Exactly. Because I had to, to where no one had any effect on anyone else that could be negative because and everything was like a robotic system. Because you're taking away free will and most people regard free will as their humanity. Going back to an earlier topic, does free will really exist? <laughs> it, it really depends on your worldview. If you view human beings as more than the sum of their parts, like are which you sovereign most of you do, you believe... That it's your choice. You believe that it's absolutely, you know, you have you have an effect on the world. It's like no hard you, feelings. You have an ability have no to choice. affect the world. <laughs> However, you are making choices. And even if those choices are influenced by and are caused by hormone fluctuations, as a whole, you still view yourself as making choices. You tend not to view yourself as someone who is doing something entirely without their ability to control. And if they are, it's there's some stuff going on there. I have an article in that bin over there that says, yes, everything we do is a result of our biology, of, of our brain cells firing, you know, of the physics of our body and the environment outside of us. But we are that, so the choices that we make are still ours. We still have to own them, in a sense, even though, even even if we don't have free will, we just have, we, we're, we still kind of do, in a way. I can see that. It depends on whether things can be truly random or not. Yeah, that's something yeah. that I was going to talk about, because if you... Say you had a powerful enough computer to simulate the universe, and you simulated <laughs> the Big Bang, and you just ran that simulation at, like, hyperspeed to see what came out of it. I like that. If you started that. it with the exact same starting parameters multiple times, shouldn't you see the exact same universe come out of it? Because everything that happens is going to happen the exact same way, and our thoughts will happen in the exact same way every time. Mm-hmm. Mm, and yeah. there we're getting into quantum physics yeah. because it's weird on that level. <laughs> it is. It really is because then, then you're delving into probability, and that's not something that at least at this point we can make heads or tails of. Mm-hmm. Come, I mean, on. <laughs> okay. Come on! Come on! That was a good one. That was a good, that was a good pun. 
but it it really isn't. It's not something that we can really look at and say, okay, this is absolutely what's going to happen this time, because that's just that's not the way as we perceive it. That's not the way that the universe works. The universe does play dice mm-hmm. to sort of refute Einstein toward <laughs> yeah. the end of his life. Toward the end of his life, he said that he did not believe in quantum mechanics because, quote, God does not play dice. Or, well, that's a that's a misquote, actually, but I can't remember the real quote, and I believe most listeners will have believed that that was the real quote. I think it's God does not play dice with the universe. It's... it's that's um, what I remember, but that's the gist of it anyways. Yeah. That's what he meant. It's, the universe is not probabilistic. The universe is along a set course. But it's been shown through experiments that it's pretty highly likely that the universe is probabilistic. Mm-hmm. Which leads us on to the mini-worlds theory and various other explanations. Let's not go there. Well, those I could go on about mini-worlds theory yeah. all day, we got from H.P. Lovecraft to quantum mechanics. I suppose that's not a huge leap. Well, I mean, we yeah. talked about bunches of things in between, but, you know. Dolphins. H.P. Lovecraft yeah. to the intelligence of dolphins. And yeah. also yes. mindless murdering. Yeah. And yeah, Well, to be fair, <laughs> mindless murdering is kind of... It's one of his M.O.s in his stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, getting back on track, what do you all think of cosmicism as a universal theory as a theory for why the universe is the way it is and how we affect everything cosmo well cosmicism i believe they named it after me so i'm obviously not in favor right now uh what i believe yes i believe it plays a part i mean do i believe in it personally it's not a good question to ask me because i'm still pretty chaotic but in general, yes, I find it extremely, immensely interesting. And it's something that will crowd my thoughts all throughout the darkening night. You'd have to be really... Well, you'd have to fight your instinct or your biological heritage in order to believe in this particular system. That would be an extremely difficult feat. Yeah. And I feel sorry for anyone who feels that way. And I want to tell them that, uh, talk to somebody. Get help. <laughs> there are many suicide lines. Yeah, it's, that's, that's not a belief that you want to go through your life living. Because that's not a belief that I can see really any human living with. Though cosmicism may not be a true issue to your mind. If you or anyone you know is having suicidal thoughts or is in need of help, please call 1-800-273-8255. Again, this is for the United States. It's 1-800-273-8255. If you do not reside in the United States, please seek out your own national hotline for suicide help. Also, any professional doctor, psychologist, or counselor may help you or someone you love. Reaching out is vital. Take care. So, Tracy? It's definitely not practical. I can't really use it in my day-to-day life. Unless you want to kill yourself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. 
But, you know, the thing about philosophies that I often find is that they're all founded on observations and, and logical connections that are all true. So the philosophy is sound, but it contradicts other philosophies that are also sound. So I can just choose whichever one I like the most, and I don't yeah. like cosmicism the most. Because it's, mm-hmm. it's sad. Yeah, it's kind of sad. The humans. To us. Okay. Um, you good? Okay. Kyle. Well, I mean, I kind of agree with Tracy. It's not exactly a great thing to want to believe in, but I think it is kind of like half true where, I mean, all in all, eventually, probably the universe is going to die in one way or another, and everything that we did will have no actual effect on how that happens or when it happens, and after it happens, everything we did will be gone, but we can't really believe that in our lives now because yeah as a as a human race we would just die off because nobody would do anything so it is important to not think that way but you also have to realize that it's is partly true in the grand scheme of things that's where i'm at and um personally i believe that uh cosmicism is true Completely, I think that we have no actual effect on the universe. I think that everything is meaningless and that the universe is meaningless. However, I think that it's a very, very valid theory. It's actually impossible for me to live with that belief, to go about my day-to-day life with that belief because I find myself with this biological imperative to believe that things matter. To be fair, I also have an ang- I also have an anxiety disorder which, you know, also makes me think that things matter a lot more than they actually do, but I'm inclined to believe that things actually matter that my actions have an effect. Because otherwise there's no point to anything and that's too depressing to think of. Like you yeah. have to you have to think that your actions have an effect on something because if they don't then there's no reason for them and i i don't think it's i don't think really anyone can argue with that i mean well you can argue with anything <laughs> but i don't think anybody can truthfully argue that nothing has any meaning because they don't live their lives as if nothing has any meaning they experience emotions. They experience the world. And other than that, they have processes that are going on that can affect the future, even if it's just a small way. Like, say, I move this bottle about a millimeter. I have, I have affected the universe. I have moved particles within that universe. Or, alternatively, I may have moved the universe around those particles. <laughs> oh, which is amazing. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. I'm extremely relative. strong. <laughs> alternatively, we have no effect, and therefore I've done nothing except for we can prove beyond reasonable doubt that I have moved that bottle about a centimeter. We can prove that this bottle has shifted in position within our universe or that our universe has shifted position outside of said bottle and because of that 
I cannot truly believe that I have no effect on the universe because I do have an effect on the universe, even if it's in a small, minuscule, completely unimportant way. This delightful impingement on your senses has been the Geometric Octopus Podcast. Our production staff consists of Anne Baudois, Cosmo Kavanaugh, Kyle Mitchell, and Tracy Medcalf. Our production is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. That means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to download it and share it with whoever you wish. You can find us on Twitter, SoundCloud, Reddit, and YouTube. The music in this episode was The Complex and Spellbound, respectively, both by Kevin McClaud via Incompetech.com. For more information, please visit the description of this episode. We may have had too much fun recording this discussion of cosmicism. However, we would love to hear your thoughts about this particular subject matter. If you have anything to add or any thoughts about the particular subject, please send us an email at geometricoctopus at gmail.com. One more thing. If you are interested in submitting audio for our podcast or short fiction, please read the show notes for further details. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next time on the Geometric Octopus Podcast. Goodbye.